Chapter number 37 of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Orthopiantidosi. Chapter 37 In which the reader may perceive a contrast not uncommon in matrimonial cases. Mr. Bumble sat in the workhouse parlour, with his eyes moodily fixed on the cheerless grate, whence, as it was summer-time, no brighter gleam proceeded than the reflection of certain sickly rays of the sun, which was sent back from its cold and shining surface. A paper fly-cage dangled from the ceiling, to which he occasionally raised his eyes in gloomy thought, and as the heedless insects hovered round the gaudy network, Mr. Bumble would heave a deep sigh, while a more gloomy shadow overspread his countenance. Mr. Bumble was meditating. It might be that the insects brought to mind some painful passage in his own past life. Nor was Mr. Bumble's gloom the only thing calculated to awaken a pleasing melancholy in the bosom of a spectator. There was not wanting other appearances, and those closely connected with his own person which announced the great change had taken place in the position of his affairs. A laced coat and a cocked hat, where were they? He still wore knee-breeches and dark cotton stockings on his neither limbs, but they were not the breeches. The coat was wide-skirted, in that respect like the coat, but oh, how different! The mighty cocked hat was replaced by a modest round one. Mr. Bumble was no longer a beetle. There are some promotions in life, which, independent of the more substantial rewards they offer, require peculiar value and dignity from the coats and waistcoats connected with them. A field marshal has his uniform, a bishop his silk apron, a councillor his silk gown, a beetle his cocked hat. Strip the bishop of his apron, or the beetle of his hat and lace. What are they? Men. Mere men. Dignity and even holiness, too, sometimes are more questions of coat and waistcoat than some people imagine. Mr. Bumble had married Mrs. Coney, who was master of the workhouse. Not the beetle would come into power. On him the cocked hat, gold-lace coat, and staff had all three descended. And tomorrow two months it was done, and Mr. Bumble with a sigh. It seems an age. Mr. Bumble might have meant that he had concentrated whole existence of happiness into the short space of eight weeks, for the sigh. <sighs> there was a grid steel beating in the sigh. I soon myself, said Mr. Bumble, pursuing the same train of recollection. Oh, six teaspoons, a pair of sugar tongs, and a milk pot, and a small quantity of second-hand furniture. And twenty pounds in money. I went very reasonable. Cheap. Dirt cheap. Cheap. Right, the shrill voice in Mr. Bunnell's ear. You would have been dear at any price, and dear enough I paid for you. Lord above knows that. Mr. Bunnell turned and encountered the face of his interesting consort, who, imperfectly comprehending the few words she had overheard of his complaint, and hazarded the whole going market adventure. Mrs. Bumble, ma'am, said Mr. Bumble, with a sentimental sternness. Well, cried the lady, 
Have the goodness to look at me, said Mr. Bumble, fixing his eyes upon her. If she stands such an eye as that, Mr. Bumble did himself, she can stand anything. It is an eye I never knew to fail with paupers. It fails with her. My power is gone. Whether an exceedingly small expansion of eye be sufficient to quell paupers, who, being lightly fed, are in no very high condition, or whether the late Mrs. Coney was particularly proof against eagle glances, are matters of opinion. The matter of fact is that the patron was in no way overpowered by Mr. Bumble's scowl, but on the contrary treated it with great disdain, and even raised a laugh there at which sounded as though it was genuine. On hearing this most unexpected sound, Mr. Bumble looked, first incredulous and afterwards amazed. He then relapsed into his former state, nor did he rouse himself until his detention was again awakened by the voice of his partner. Are you going to sit snoring there all day? inquired Mrs. Bumble. I'm going to sit here as long as I think proper, ma'am, rejoined Mr. Bumble. I don't know I'm not, not snoring, I shall snore, gape, sneeze, laugh, or cry, as the humour strikes me. Such being my prerogative. Your prerogative? sneered Mrs. Bumble, with ineffable contempt. I said the word, ma'am, said Mr. Bumble. Prerogative of a man is to command. And what's the prerogative of a woman in the name of Godness? cried the relic of Mr. Corney, deceased. To obey, ma'am, thundered Mr. Bumble. Your late unfortunate husband should have taught it you, and then perhaps he might have been alive now. I wish he was, poor man. Mrs. Bumble, seeing at a glance that the decisive moment had now arrived, neither blow struck for the mastership on one side of the other, must necessarily be final and conclusive. No sooner you will hear this allusion to the dead and gone than she dropped into a chair, and with a loud scream that Mr. Bumble was a hard-hearted brute, fell into an paroxysm of tears. But tears were not the things to find their way to Mrs. Bumble's soul. His heart was waterproof. Like washable beaver hats, it improved with rain. His nerves were rendered stouter and more vigorous by showers of tears, which being tokens of weakness, and so far tacit admissions of his own power, pleased and exalted him. He eyed his good lady with looks of great satisfaction, and begged, in an encouraging manner, that she should cry her hardest, the exercise being looked upon by the faculty as strongly conductive to health. It opens the lungs, washes the countenance, exercises the eyes, and softens down the temper, said Mr. Bumble, to cry away. As he discharged himself of this pleasantry, Mr. Bumble took his hat from his peg, and putting it on rather rakishly on one side, as a man who might, who felt he had asserted his superiority in a becoming manner, thrust his hands into his pockets, and sauntered towards the door, with much ease and waggishness depicted in his whole appearance. Now, Mrs. Corley that was has tried the tears, because they were less troublesome than a manual assault, but she was quite prepared to make the trial of the later mode of proceeding, as Mr. Bumble was not long in discovering. The first proof he had experienced of the fact 
was conveyed in a hollow sound, immediately succeeded by the sudden flying off of his hat to the opposite side of the room. This preliminary proceeding laying bare his head, the expert lady, clasping him tightly round the throat with one hand, inflicted a shower of blows, dealt with singular vigour and dexterity, upon it with the other. This done, she created little variety by scratching his face and tearing his hair, and having by this time inflicted as much punishment as she deemed necessary for the offence, she pushed him over a chair, which was luckily well situated for the purpose, and defied him to talk about his prerogative again, if he dared. Get up, said Mrs. Bumble, in the voice of command, and take yourself away from here, unless you want me to do something desperate. Mr. Bumble rose with a very rueful countenance, wondering much what something desperate might be. Picking up his hat, he looked towards the door. Are you going? demanded Mrs. Bumble. Certainly, my dear, certainly, rejoined Mr. Bumble, making a quicker motion towards the door. I didn't intend to. I'm going, my dear. You were so very violent at the relay, I... At this instant, Mustard's Bumble stepped hastily forward to replace the carpet, which had been kicked up in the scuffle. Mr. Bumble immediately darted out of the room, without bestowing another thought on his finished sentence, leaving the late Mrs. Corney in full possession of the field. Mr. Bumble was fairly taken by surprise and fairly beaten. He had a decided propensity for bullying, derived no inconsiderable pleasure from the exercise of petty cruelty, and consequentially was, it is needless to say, a coward. This is by no means a disparagement to his character, for many official personages, who are killed in great respect and admiration, are the victims of similar infirmities. That remark is made rather in his favour than otherwise, and with a view of impressing the reader with a just sense of his qualifications for office. But the measure of his degradation was not yet full. After making a tour of the house, and thinking for the first time that the poor laws really were too hard on people, and that men who ran away from their wives, leaving them chargeable to the parish, ought injustice to be visited with no punishment at all, but rather rewarded as meritorious individuals who have suffered much. Mr. Bumble came to a room where some of the female paupers were usually employed in washing the parish linen, and the voices in conversation now proceeded. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Bumble, summoning up all his native dignity, These women at least shall continue to respect the prerogative. Hello! Hello there! What do you mean by this noise, you passes? With these words, Mr. Bumble opened the door, and walked in with a very fierce and angry manner, which was at once exchanged for a most humiliated and cowering air, as his eyes unexpectedly rested on the form of his lady wife. My dear, said Mr. Bumble, I didn't know you were here. Didn't know I was here, repeated Mrs. Bumble. What do you do here? I thought they were talking rather too much to be doing their work properly, my dear, replied Mr. Bumble, glancing distractedly at a couple of old women at the wash tub, who were comparing notes of admiration at the workhouse master's humility. You thought they were talking too much? said Mrs. Bumble. What business is it of yours? Why, my dear, 
urge Mr. Bumble submissively. What business is it of yours? demanded Mrs. Bumble again. It's very true, your matron here, my dear, submitted Mr. Bumble. But I thought you mightn't be in the way just then. I'll tell you what, Mr. Bumble, returned his lady. We don't want any of your interference. You're a great deal too fond of poking your nose into things that don't concern you, making everybody in the house laugh the moment your back is turned, making yourself look like a fool every hour in the day. Be off! Come! Mr. Bumble, seeing with excruciating feelings the delight of the two old paupers, who were tittering together most rapturously, hesitated for an instant. Mrs. Bumble, whose patience broke no delay, caught up a bowl of soap suds and, motioning him towards the door, ordered him instantly to depart on pain of receiving the contents upon his portly person. What could Mr. Bumble do? He looked dejectedly round and slunk away, and as he reached the door, the tittering of paupers broke into a shrill chuckle of irrepressible delight. He wanted but this. He was degraded in their eyes. He lost caste and station before the very paupers. He had fallen from all the height and pomp of beetleship to the lowest depth of the most snubbed hen peccary. All in two months, said Mr. Bumble, filled with dismal thoughts. Two months! No more than two months ago. I was not only my own master, but everybody else's, so far as the parochial workhouse was concerned, and now... It was too much. Mr. Bumble boxed the ears of a boy who opened the gate for him, for he reached the portal in his reverie, and walked, dejectedly, into the street. He walked up one street and down another, until exercise had abated the first passion of his grief, and then the revulsion of feeling made him thirsty. He passed a great many at public houses, but at length passed those before one in a byway, whose parlour, as he gathered from a hasty peep over the blinds, was deserted, save by one solitary customer. It began to rain heavily at the moment. This determined him. Mr. Bumble stepped in and ordered something to drink as he passed the bar, entered the apartment into which he had looked from the street. The man who was seated there was tall and dark, and wore a large cloak. He had the air of a stranger, and there seemed, by a certain haggardness in his look, as well as by the dusty soils on his dress, to have travelled some distance. He eyed Bumble askance as he entered, but scarcely deigned to nod his head in acknowledgment of his salutation. Mr. Bumble had quite dignity enough for two, supposing even that the stranger had been more familiar, so he drank his gin and water in silence, and read the paper with great show of pomp and circumstance. It so happens, however, as it will happen very often, when men fall into company under such circumstances, that Mr. Bumble felt, every now and then, a very powerful inducement, which he could not resist to steal a look at the stranger and that whenever he did so, he withdrew his eyes in some confusion to find that the stranger was at that, that very moment stealing a look at him. Mr. Bumble's wakeness was enhanced by the very remarkable expression of the stranger's eye, which was keen and bright, but shattered by a scowl of distrust and suspicion, unlike anything he had ever observed before. 
and repulsive to behold. When they had encountered each other's glance several times in this way, the stranger in a harsh, deep voice broke silence. Were you looking for me, he said, when you peered in at the window? Not that I am aware of, unless you're mister. Here Mr. Bumble stopped short, for he was curious to know the stranger's name, and thought in his own patience he might supply the blank. I see you are not, said the stranger, expression of quiet sarcasm playing about his mouth. Or oh, you have known my name. You don't know it. I would recommend you not ask for it. I mean no harm, young man, observed Mr. Bumble majestically. And have done none, said the stranger. Another silence succeeded this short dialogue, which was again broken by the stranger. I have seen you before, I think, said he. You were definitely dressed that time, and I only passed you on the street. But I should know you again. You were beadle here once. Were you not? I was, said Mr. Bumble in some surprise. Parochial beetle. Just so, rejoined the other, nodding his head. It was in that character I saw you. What are you now? Master of the workhouse, rejoined Mr. Bumble, slowly and impressively, to check any undue familiarity the stranger might otherwise assume. Master of the workhouse, young man. You have the same eye to your own interest that you always had, I doubt not, rejoined the stranger, looking keenly into Mr. Bumble's eyes as he raised them in astonishment at the question. Don't scruple to answer freely, man. I know you pretty well, you'll see. I suppose a married man, replied Mr. Bumble, shading his eyes with his hand and surveying the stranger from head to foot with indignant perplexity. Is not more averse to turning an honest penny when he can than a single one? Or a killfish is not so well paid that I can afford to refuse any little extra fee when it comes to them in a civil and proper manner? The stranger smiled and nodded his head again, as much to say he had not mistaken his man, then rang the bell. Ding! Fuel this glass again, he said, handing Mr. Bumble's empty tumbler to the landlord. Let it be strong and hot. You like it so, I suppose. Not too strong, replied Mr. Bumble with a delicate cough. You understand what that means, landlord, said the stranger dryly. The host smiled, disappeared, and shortly afterwards returned with a steaming jorum, of which the first gulp brought the water into Mr. Bumble's eyes. Now listen to me, said the stranger after closing the door and window. I came down to this place today to find you out and by one of those chances which the devil throws in the way of his friends and times. You walked into the very room I was sitting in, while you were uppermost in my mind. I want some information from you. I don't ask you to give it for nothing, slight as it is. Put up that to begin with. As he spoke, he pulled a couple of sovereigns across the table to his companion, carefully, 
as though unwilling that the chinking of money should be heard without. Mr. Bumble had scrupulously examined the coins, and seen that they were genuine, and had put them up. With much satisfaction in his waistcoat pocket, he went on, Carry your memory back. Let me see. Twelve years last winter. It's a long time, said Mr. Bumble. Very good. I've done it. The scene. The workhouse. Good. And the time. Night. Yes. And the place. The crazy hole. Whatever it was in which miserable tramps brought forth the life and health at which they often died of themselves. Give birth to pulling children that perish to rear in their shame nor autumn to the grave. A lying in room, I suppose, said Mr. Bumble, not quite following the stranger's excited description. Yes, said the stranger. A boy was born there. A million boys, observed Mr. Bumble, shaking his head despondently. A moraine on the young devils, cried the stranger. I speak of one, a meek-looking, pale-faced boy, with apprentice down here to a coffin-maker. I wish he had made his coffin, and screwed his bonnet in it, and who afterwards ran away to London, as it was supposed. Why, you mean Oliver? Young Twist, said Mr. Bumble. I remember him, of course. There was an obstinate young rascal. It's not of him I want here. I've heard enough of him, said the stranger, stopping Mr. Bumble in the outset of a tirade on the subject of poor Oliver's vices. It's of a woman, the hag that nursed his mother. Where is she? Where is she? said Mr. Bumble, whom the gin and water had redended facetious. It would be hard to tell. There's no midwifery there, whichever place she's gone to, so I suppose she's out of employment anyway. What do you mean? demanded the stranger, sternly. That she died last winter, rejoined Mr. Bumble. The man looked fixedly at him when he had given this information, although he did not withdraw his eyes for some time afterwards. His gaze gradually became vacant and abstracted, and he seemed lost in thought. For some time he appeared doubtful whether he ought to be relieved or disappointed by the intelligence, but at length he breathed more freely, and withdrawing his eyes, observed that it was no great matter. With that he rose, as if to depart. But Mr. Bumble was cunning enough, and he at once saw that an opportunity was opened, for the lucrative disposal of some secret in the possession of his better half. He well remembered the night of old Sally's death, which the occurrences of that day had given him good reason to recollect, as the occasion on which he had proposed to Mrs. Corney, and although that lady had never confided to him the disclosure of which she had been a solitary witness, he had heard enough to know that it was related to something that had occurred in the old woman's attendance, as workhouse nurse upon the young mother of Oliver Twist. Hastily calling this circumstance to mind, he informed the stranger with an air of mystery that one woman had been closeted with the old Herodon shortly before she died, and that she could, as he had reason to believe, shed some light on the subject of his inquiry. How can I find her? said the stranger, thrown off his guard and plainly showing that all his fears, whatever they were, 
were roused afresh by the intelligence. Only through me, rejoined it, Mr. Bumble. When? cried the stranger hastily. Tomorrow, rejoined it, Bumble. At nine in the evening, said the stranger, producing a scrap of paper and writing down upon it an obscure address by the water side in characters that betrayed his agitation. At nine in the evening, bring her to me there. I needn't tell you to be secret. It's your interest. With these words, he led the way to the door, just stopping to pay for the liquor that had been drunk. Shortly remarking that the roads were different, he departed without more ceremony than an empathetic repetition of the hour appointment for the following night. On glancing at the address, the parochial functionary observed that it contained no name. The stranger had not gone far, so he made after him to ask it. "'What do you want?' cried the man, turning quickly round as Dumble sorted his nail on the arm. "'Following me!' "'Only to ask a question,' said the other, pointing to the scrap of paper. "'What name am I to ask for?' "'Monks!' rejoined the other man, and strode hastily away. Chapter 37 of Oliver Twist End